Thank you, Brother Terry. Thank our praise team and thank all of you for taking part in our worship this morning. This morning I'll be sharing from Matthew chapter 4. In just a few minutes we'll read, I'll read those verses. Matthew chapter 4, verses 19 through 22. If you want to go ahead and look that up, I'll be sharing from the New King James Version of the Bible. And I'll share with you a sermon this morning called to be a disciple, called to be a disciple. This morning I want to begin by asking you a question. What comes to your mind when I say the word Christian? Christian. Think of that. What comes to your mind when I say the word Christian? Or what comes to your mind if I say, what is a Christian? Christian? Or what is a Christian? Andy Stanley says, if you ask ten different people, what is a Christian, you'd probably get nine different answers. If you stop people on the street and ask them, are you a Christian? Some will say, well, what do you mean by that? Some will say, yes, I'm a Christian. Some will say, no, I'm not a Christian. Some perhaps would say, well, I'm really not sure if I'm a Christian. And then some would probably say, yes, I'm a Christian, but I'm not like those hypocrites down at so-and-so church. And then if you ask, what point did you become a Christian? you'd possibly get some of these answers. Well, I prayed a prayer. Or, I was baptized. I joined a church. I walked down an aisle. But here's a strange fact. The very first followers of Jesus did not call themselves Christians. The term Christian was really a derogatory term. Uh, It was used by people that were outside the Jewish community. Acts chapter 11, jot this verse down. Acts chapter 11, verse 26 says this. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so it was that for a whole year... They assembled with the church, and they taught great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. The the word Christian, or the name Christian, was a derogatory name. Christian meant little Christ. Little Christ. Uh, derogatory, and someone would say, well, you just want to be little Jesuses walking around. Now, if they didn't call themselves Christian, what did they call themselves? Well, Acts chapter 11, verse 26, the C part of that verse says, it gives the answer. It says, and the disciples were first called Christians. And Antioch. 
The disciples were first called Christians. And so they referred to themselves as the disciples of Christ. Now consider this. The word Christian is only found three times in the New Testament. The word disciple, by contrast, is found 281 times in the New Testament alone. You say, well, so what? What does that mean, Brother Sammy? Here's what Andy Stanley said, and I I pretty well agree with him. He said this, and I quote, I want to suggest to you that in changing the primary word that we use to describe ourselves, we lost the clarity that the word disciple conveyed about what a follower of Jesus actually is. End of quote. So here's the point. We need to see today in this passage of Scripture and in our time together that the term Christian today clouds Um, fogs, obscures the fact that a lot of people who call themselves Christians are not really disciples or followers of Jesus. Now, if you would notice Matthew chapter 4, 18 through 20 for our text. Matthew 4, verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets, and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, In the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately, they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Now, I'm going to take a few minutes. I really didn't know if I was going to be preaching or teaching this morning, so I'm going to combine both. And I'm going to take just a few minutes to take... um, a few minutes to give you some historical information that will help you perhaps understand this passage and what it means to be called to be a disciple, where you can understand that a little better. So first, some historical information. It's not on an outline. You'll just have to jot down some notes. First of all, Hebrew boys at the age of five, went to what was known as Torah school, T-O-R-A-H, Torah school. They learned the first five books of the law, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They learned those five books beginning at age five. And before they started to school, or as they started to school, and they sat down to study the first book, Genesis, book of Moses, Genesis, first book of Moses, they kind of had a ceremony where their rabbi would take a drop of honey and, and drip a drop of honey to their tongue. And they were poor boys, 
and they really had probably, up until this time, they were five years old, really had not had anything sweet. And all of a sudden, this drop of honey just burst forth in their mouth and in their mind, and, and it was so good. And the, the key was, the image was, this word that you're studying, this word that you're memorizing, is going to be sweet to you. And so for the next five years, they memorized the Torah, the first five books of Moses. And then by the age of ten, they kind of had a, a, a weeding out, so to speak. And so they, they weeded out the students. They kept about 20%, the best students, and they remained in this Torah school studying what we call the New Testament usually from Joshua to Malachi. And they studied, continued their study, that 20%, until they were 17 years old. And at that time, there was another cut. And if you wanted to go on in, in Torah school, you would have to find a rabbi, someone that you would admire. And then you would apply to be the rabbi's Talmud, T-A-L-M-I-D, Hebrew word, T-A-L-M-I-D, English translation, disciple. And so you would apply to the, to the rabbi to be the Talmud, his disciple. And so after you applied to be his disciple, when you found that rabbi, you would go and sit at his feet. And when you would sit at his feet, that was a request from you to him that you wanted to learn from him. And that rabbi would examine you and put you through a series of tests to see if you were worthy to be his Talmud, his disciple. And rabbis were very selective because becoming a religious leader really was the best job anyone could have during that time. So the rabbis wanted, and they chose the smartest and the most talented young men to be their Talmudim, plural for disciples. They had their Talmudim, they had their disciples, they had their disciple group, they had their D group. <laughs> they had their Talmudim. Now remember, these rabbis, they were very selective because they wanted to choose somebody that they believed had capacity to be just like them. Now keep in mind what Jesus is doing in Matthew chapter 4 as he chooses his disciples. These rabbis wanted a young man that would become just like them, not just to know what they knew, not just to hear their teaching, but to do what they did. And so for years, the Talmudim would follow every step of their rabbis, imitating them in every possible way that they could. They would learn their mannerisms, if they taught with their hands, if they sat when they taught, they stood when they talked. If they spoke loud or spoke quietly, 
They would learn their mannerisms. They would learn how to answer tough questions. They would learn how to respond to difficult situations. And the highest compliment that you could give or pay a Talmud, a disciple, was to say to them, quote, the dust of your rabbi is all over you. Meaning they were so close and they followed their rabbi so closely that the dust of their rabbi was all over them. That's how close you followed your rabbi. Everything your rabbi does, you do, and you just get saturated with it and covered with it. Now, in the days of Jesus, there would be a rare form of a rabbi who possessed a special characteristic that people would refer to as smacha. Smacha. The Hebrew word smacha uh, is the English word for authority. And there wasn't that many rabbis that had smacha, that had authority. Really, they were about 10 in the first century A.D. One was um, Hillel, one was Gamiel. Gamiel, if you remember, was, uh, uh, he taught Paul said at his feet at times. And so you had these rabbis that had this special characteristic, this, this smacha, this authority. So these rabbis were very rare. Like I said, about a dozen. They were masters of the law. They had this special authority where they could interpret the text. They were so close to God that they could give unheard of insights of the Scripture they, they had this smacha, they had this authority. However, to be regarded as a rabbi with this authority, there had to be evidence that the Talmud could, or the rabbi could do miracles. And not only could they do miracles, but then you had to be approved by two other rabbis that had smacha, that had authority. And then if that happened, you could do miracles, two others approved you, that you had authority, then you were in a very elite group of rabbis. Now, with that in mind, Jesus comes on the scene. Jesus knows the Torah so well, at the age of 12 years old, he was saying things like, you've heard it said, but I say to you. You see, there's some new authority that's come on the scene. People were amazed at his authority. In Luke chapter 20, they asked Jesus, where'd you get your power? Where'd you get your smacha? Where'd you get your power? Who confirmed it to you? Matthew chapter 4. Look, at that. Look over to verse 23 and 25. Look what he said. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in the synagogue, preaching the gospel, the kingdom, healing all kinds of sickness. There's some miracles. All kinds of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout Syria, and they brought him sick people who were afflicted and various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed and epileptics and paralytics. And he healed them. And great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and beyond Jordan. 
You say, well, Brother Samuel, what's the meaning? What's the meaning of all this? Look, if you will, at Matthew 4, verse 18 through 20. And Jesus walking by the sea, based on what we've talked about. And Jesus walking by the sea saw two brothers called Peter and Andrew, his brother cast a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets, and they followed him. Called to be a disciple. What's involved in being a disciple of Jesus? If you're taking notes, point number one. And there's only going to be one today. Point number one. God doesn't choose the best. He chooses the willing. God doesn't choose the best, but he chooses the willing. Jesus, when he chose those fishermen, he didn't choose the, he didn't choose the scholars of Egypt. He didn't choose the philosophers in Athens. He didn't choose the powerful in Rome. He passed over Socrates, who was the greatest teacher of all time, all th the greatest thinker of all time. He didn't choose Julius Caesar, a great ruler. He chose just ordinary men. He didn't choose a single rabbi. One half of those fishermen, one half of those were fishermen, one worked for the IRS. He was a tax collector, Matthew. One was a former terrorist. And J.W. Greer said this, and I like what he said. He said he chose the B team. Now, why did he do that? Because his work in the world would not come from their abilities, but, he, but what he could do through them. Now, you need to get that. Jesus is not that much concerned about your ability as much as he is about your availability and what he can do through you and what he can do through me. Some people with a lot of talent only get in the way. Now, why is that? Because they never learn to lean on the power of Jesus Christ. The point is this. His power in the weakest vessel, is greater than the greatest talent from someone that's apart from him. Look at Matthew chapter 11, verses 9 through 11. Matthew 11, verse 9, says this. Speaking of John the Baptist, which had a lot of, a lot of smacha, a lot of authority, John the Baptist would preach, People would come from miles to listen to him preach and to teach. This is about John the Baptist, verse 9. What did you go out to see, a prophet? Yes, I say to you, Jesus said, more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. Did you hear that? There's no other greater, there's no other person born of a woman, which we all are, born of a woman which is greater than John the Baptist. Jesus said he's the greatest of all men, of all teachers, of all preachers. But the other side, 
He who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. Wow. Here's the man that's greatest of anyone born of woman. However, if you want to be greater than John the Baptist, you be the least in the kingdom. The one who is the least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. Let me ask you a question. Are you in the kingdom of heaven? Well, I pray that you are. Are you in the kingdom of heaven? Now, one over here is. Sure, I think. Are you in the kingdom of heaven? All right, let me ask you this. Do you feel like you're the least in the kingdom? I mean, do, do you feel that you know the least in the kingdom? Do you feel that you have the least talent or the least ability in the kingdom? Do you feel that you're the least, you're the least eloquent in the kingdom? Do you feel like you have the least spiritual gifts in the kingdom? Well, if there's someone here today or if there's someone viewing, but someone here at Mountain View Baptist Church and God, and you're thinking, hey, God is telling me I'm the least. Well, that's you. So here's the point. Whoever you are, you have the potential to be greater. You have the potential to be greater than John the Baptist. Not that you are, but you have the potential to be. Why is that? Because you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. John the Baptist didn't have the Spirit dwelling in him. Therefore, it's not about your abilities for Jesus. It's about your availability to Jesus. God didn't choose you because you were a great dad or a great husband or a great mom or a great mother. He didn't choose you that you're a great witness. He didn't choose you because you're a great preacher. He didn't choose you because you're a great student. He chose you because he knew that he could work through you because he knew that you'd be a willing vessel that he could work through. It's what J.W. Greer said, and I liked it. He says, The Holy Spirit in the mouth of one believer is more powerful than any, than any army of the most eloquent orators in the world. The person filled with the Holy Spirit of God that person is more powerful than any army of the most eloquent orators, speakers, preachers, teachers. So the question this morning is this. It's not how able you are. The question is, how available are you? Are you worth a flip to Jesus? Can he depend on you? Can he depend on me? It's not about your abilities. It's about your availabilities. You surrender totally to him, and he'll do anything he wants to through you. You say, well, he can't use me. Have you given him an opportunity to do that? Have you surrendered yourself to him? Have you said, God, I'm tired of making excuses for doing nothing for you? 
I want to make myself available to you, take whatever you see in me, and use me in the kingdom work. Have you said that? You see, I'm not looking into my marriage. I'm not looking into my ministry. I'm not looking into my relationship. I'm not looking into my workplace and saying, what can I do? But I'm going to start asking Jesus, Jesus, what can you do through me in my marriage, in my ministry, in my relationship, in my workplace, in my school? What can you just do through me? As we close, are you a disciple? Maybe you didn't understand it till today. Are you actually a disciple? Or are you just a Christian? Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you just a Christian that there's nine out of ten different answers, or really ten out of ten different answers in what a Christian is to so many people? Some people say, well, what's a Christian? Well, it's someone like Jesus. Well, how's that coming along in your life? Have you committed to follow Jesus? Do you understand who called you? Let's think about that just a moment. Who called you? You're talking about, you're talking about this smetha, smitha. You're talking about this authority. Think who called you. Think, who, think how the Holy Spirit convicted you and called you to Christ. Think of the authority. Think of the one who, who think of the authority of the one who called you that he can speak to waves, and the waves obey his voice. He can speak to demons, and they come out of people. I mean, he can speak to diseases, and people are healed. And he can speak to the dead, and they come out of the graves. By him, all things exist. The Bible says we're redeemed by his blood. He has no rival. He has no equal. We sing about that. So the point is, if Jesus is who he is, if he is who he says he is, and he is, then he deserves your total commitment and nothing more. Nothing less, but everything that belongs to you. He deserves complete adoration. Is that right or wrong? Is that right? If he's, if he's who he says he is, and you say that you're a believer, does he not deserve everything that belongs to you? Your life, your all, everything? Am I right in saying that? Say amen. Thank you. Well, if that's the case, then some of you here, some of you that's viewing online, viewing in your homes or wherever you might be, you need to cease being Christian and you need to actually start following Jesus. Maybe you never understood that till today. The point is, you have to leave everything, Matthew 4, and to follow him. We'll deal with that later on. J.W. Greer brought this to my attention. I'm going to pass it on to you. 
I never had noticed this, but he said there's three different stages in the ministry of Jesus. Real quick, it's worth your wait. Stage one. Stage one in the ministry of Jesus is come and see. Come and see stage. The first recorded question of Jesus, John 1 verse 38. They said to Jesus, Jesus, where are you staying? You know what his answer was? Come and see. Come and see. That's where a lot of people are today. A lot of believers are today. Come and see. Come and see. Come and learn. Come and learn. Come and learn. Come and learn. First stage in the ministry of Jesus was come and see. Come and learn. The second stage in the ministry of Jesus, he goes from come and see to come and die. And he talks about a seed planted in the earth has to die before it really comes to life. And so he talks about come and die, John 12, 24 through 26. Come and die means to come and be fully committed to Jesus. No restrictions, Jesus, I'm yours totally. That's come and die. I've died to Christ. I'm dead to Christ, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. That's come and die. Come and see, come and learn, come and die, give it all to him. And then the third ministry of Jesus is go and tell. Go and tell, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. I thought of go and tell when uh, I saw the Hoosier one out there all lit up. So where are you this morning? Come and see. You stuck in that? Are you come and see, come and see, come and see, come and see? You've never got to the point of come and die, and you really never got to the point of go and tell. So today, you're invited to move if you're a believer you're invited to move from stage one, come and see. If you're an unbeliever, come and see. Move from stage one to stage two, come and die, get totally committed to him. And then, after you get totally committed to him, then you'll visit your one or talk to your one. We're praying for our ones, but we'll visit the one that God has put on our heart to build a relationship with, and when the Spirit leads, to share the gospel with them. We'll get to that point. We'll go and tell. We'll identify our one who needs to be saved. We'll commit to building a relationship. Then we'll share our testimony. Have you, ever, have you never became a disciple? Just pray today. Say, Lord, I'll give you every single part of my life unconditionally. And I'll receive your forgiveness, your mercy. By faith, I trust you to be my Lord, to be my Savior. And then you can say, Lord, give me, give me that name of one person that I can introduce to Jesus. And then we'll get down to the going and telling. Call to be a disciple. He didn't choose the best but he chose the willing. So here's the question. Are you willing to follow Jesus? Sure enough, follow Jesus. Not just to come and see type, but sure enough, follow him. So what stage are you in?
come and see stage, come and die stage, go and tell stage. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we've had to open your word and see how you began to call your followers, your disciples. Hasn't changed any. You didn't, you didn't choose the best when you chose me. Lord, you didn't. And so, Father, I, I wouldn't have been able to even stand here this morning if it wasn't for you. And so I thank you, Lord, that you were willing to call, to call the weak, to, those, to call those who, who uh, people would never think could do what they're doing. But the only reason people do what they can do is they've made themselves available and you've given them the necessary ability to do what you want them to do. I pray for every person here this morning. I pray, Lord, that we're followers of Christ, that we're disciples of Christ, that, that, we, that people can tell that, that we have dust from our master covering us from where we're living close to you in prayer and in Bible study. Forgive me, Father, for not being as close to you as I need to be. Forgive that sin that I can, that I can have more dust being close to you. Thank you for what you're going to do in this invitation. For those who have never trusted you to be Lord and Savior of their life, who have never sincerely committed themselves totally to you. I pray today they would come and trust only in you for their salvation. I pray, Lord, wherever they are in the stage of ministry, come and learn. Today they would move from there. Uh, to, from come and learn, come and see that we would move from there, Lord, to the next stage where we can Come and die and be willing to give it all up for you. And then to go and tell. Help us to move through those stages. In Jesus' name, amen.